This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Dorinda Wood, and I was the costume designer on Star Trek The Next Generation Season 2, and you are listening to Trek FM. T.O. Grey Hot. Welcome, listeners, to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I am your host, Amy Nelson, and with me today are my wonderful co-hosts, Justin Ozer and Joe Keegan. Joe, how are you doing today? I, I'm good. Thank you, Amy. It's good to be here. And Justin, how are you today? Doing great. Hey, second episode with all three of us together here. It's very exciting. And of course, we have another exciting topic today. So it's always great to be on Earl Grey, isn't it? It is. All right. Well, listeners, we have an iTunes giveaway and it's very exciting. We have one of our associate producers, Chris Trebuzio, has got for us the trading card set. Is that what they're called, Justin? Yeah, I was taking a look at it because he sent us some pictures. Star Trek The Next Generation collector cards. Yes, and they are quite amazing. There's, I would say they're about an inch and a half thick. Is that how many cards are? Does it say how many? I think that Chris said there's about 80 in a set, which is great. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So listeners, please leave us a star rating and written review on iTunes, and we are going to start this for July and August. So if you leave a review between July 2nd through August 31st, uh, then we you will be entered to win one of these sets. So very exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. I mean, I think as we mentioned, maybe at the end of an episode before, iTunes is changing for some people. So it's being split into different services, kind of like you have on an iPhone or iPad into music and podcasts and other stuff. But at least for now, until the fall, (laughs) it's still going to be as iTunes. So give us a star rating and written review. We'll enter you in that contest. Let us know how you're feeling about Earl Grey. Apple have decided to get rid of iTunes and replace it with uh, an app for your music, one for your podcasts, and one for TV and movies. So, Yeah, which is kind of what you already have on like the iPhone, iPad anyway, right? It already splits it out like that. But yeah. So yeah, excited to see your reviews. Excellent. Well, we do have some Babel Conference feedback for Earl Grey 279, and that is uh, from our favorite conflict resolution moments. And we did that with, was that the one with Showab? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So Justin, why don't you start us off? Yeah. So Christopher Baca says, in one of the classes I took as part of getting my master's degree, the professor used pop culture references to demonstrate a leadership slash negotiating tactic so we could see it in action before we discussed why it worked. He used examples from Batman, Trek, TNG, The Apprentice, etc. 
The example he used, he dubbed the Farpoint Gambit, and I knew he was going to talk TNG when I saw the subject heading, LOL. Q basically uses his position's power to pass sentence by making an exploding offer. Picard has one chance to defuse it, hence the Farpoint Gambit. He makes an offer that intrigues Q and defuses the decision Q made. So thank you, Christopher. I mean, I think that's interesting that you took a class and uh, the professor was basically looking at the same moment that we are we were as the way of diffusing a situation. So very cool to see that. And listeners, if you go to the Babel conference, there's a little thread there because Christopher talked a little bit more about uh, the class and what it was about. Sounds really cool. I think he said it was challenging, but but very interesting. So Peter A. Kerstetter says, along with Amy's loopholes, we see this in the first season episode Symbiosis. It was great to see Judson Scott and Merritt Buttrick together. In the episode, the Ornarins are addicted to a narcotic supplied by the Breka, but the transport ship broke down. Crusher wants Picard to help the Ornarins break their addiction, but Picard is incapable of helping the Ornarins dry out because of the Prime Directive. It was the Prime Directive that also made them unable to help the Ornarins repair their trade ship, a loophole which would result in the Ornarins finally breaking their addiction. Uh, yeah, I agree, Peter. Um, it was really good to see Judson Scott and Merritt Buttrick. Uh, I don't know how many times I saw that episode before it actually dawned on me who they, those two actors um, were. Yeah, that they'd been I'd in seen them Con, before. Right? Yes, exactly. Um, which was like, <laughs> oh, okay, that's really cool. I'd, in terms of the favourite conflict resolution moments... In general, that whole ep- podcast, I thought you guys were really insightful. Oh, thank you. Um, Shoab as well. Um, it was just really, because I was really struggling to come up with any um, before I started to listen to the episode. And then it just becomes really obvious when you guys are talking about it and picking out all the little details. So I really enjoyed it. Oh, excellent. Yeah, Peter, thank you for uh, your comment. And that actually, symbiosis was one of my honorable mentions that we just didn't get around to mentioning. But it was on my list because I really thought that that was good and it showed both sides of the conflict, which I think was, you know, also pointed out on the Babel Conference, like Star Trek does a good job at recognizing both sides of a conflict and then, you know, making a decision based off of that. So Yeah, definitely. All right, guys. Well, let's get to today's discussion. And I'm very excited to talk about it. And it's actually going to be a continuing series that we have on Earl Grey. Um, What it is, is that we are going to look at serialized story arcs throughout TNG. And the reason that I was thinking about this was because obviously I host The Edge and Discovery is so like has this season long arc and we're talking about it and it's difficult to talk about individual episodes because the story is continuing. It's, you know, you have to have previously on discovery and then what's going to happen next. And, and it's just a story that's never ending until we get to the end of the season. And there has been a lot of discussion about, oh, I miss my episodic TV, me being one of them where we can just see an episode have it start and finish within that, you know, 45, 50 minutes. But it was interesting as I got to thinking about it more, I was like, wait a minute, we have very long storylines in TNG and Klingons being one of them. And so that is the one that we are going to cover today. Now, it was interesting because as I was thinking about this, you know, season arc versus episodic storylines, 
that there was actually these collections that came out. Um, and I wanted to ask you guys, did you guys get, or what did you think about when you saw these collections come out? I think there was like Borg, Klingon, Q. Do you, do you remember them coming out? I do. Um, I tend to avoid collections like that because I've seen all the episodes before and I have them all in some format anyway. So to buy them again, I see it as just a ploy for the distributor or whoever's making them um, to make more money out of fans. So I, I avoid them. I understand the reason behind them and having watched the four episodes that we're going to discuss today, I can see how they're all nicely tied together even though they do miss out some important Klingon episodes. So yeah, I knew about them, never purchased them. So Justin, you're relatively new. Do you remember hearing about these fan collections? Uh, certainly not at the time that it came out. Uh, I, I mean, I've he I'd heard about it a little bit more recently, and then you brought it to our attention, so I really took a look at what's included in these. So I do think it's interesting that they wanted to, to put it along uh, in, in terms of a theme. And you're right that oftentimes we think of the next generation as pretty much episodic, but there are threads that run through it and things that, that continue, including the Klingon story arc that we'll be talking about. As far as like serialized versus episodic, I actually love both types of storytelling. There are things that I love about episodic that it's strong out in. There are things that I love about serialized storylines that they're strong in and some of my favorite things in Star Trek are serialized storylines like some of what we saw in Deep Space Nine and Enterprise and now Discovery. So it's interesting to take a look at that lens of serialization for, for TNG. And, and I think this is great. I think we're going to have a good discussion. Episodic TV is really good for watching in bed before you go to sleep. Because you can go to bed, watch a little 45-minute episode, and by the end you're almost asleep. So it's, it's like a, a nice little comfort blanket. You're saying Star Trek puts you to sleep? <laughs> yeah, yes, actually, yes. I am, even though I love it, it does. If I didn't have it on the background, I probably wouldn't sleep because I've become so used to it. Interesting. So it's like a, a soothing presence. Oh, yeah. It's that background noise of life, Star Trek, the hum of the, the warp drive. And, and to add to that, like serialized season long arcs, that's really good for binging. Sometimes I, I can't really binge TNG because they're episodic. So. Very good, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know um, about that. I was thinking, oh. <laughs> well, and I was also thinking um, that with these uh, collections that we could have some future crossover shows uh, with Standard Orbit or To The Journey because as I was looking at them, you know, I was just thinking next gen. But then when I did some actual research, for example, the Klingon Fan Collective includes the following episodes. So listeners, if you want to write these down, then you can get the whole collection yourself because you probably own it or have a streaming service. So the first one they started with was Enterprise, Broken Bow, the original series, Errand of Mercy, The Trouble with Tribbles. For the next generation, they have A Matter of Honor, Sins of the Father, Redemption, and Redemption Part 2. Uh, for Deep Space Nine, they have The Way of the Warrior, the Sword of Kalos, Trials and Tribulations, and then for Voyager, they have Barge of the Dead. So those are the episodes that are included in the Klingon collection. Uh, guys, what do you think about this list? Can I make an admission? It might get me sacked as ho a co-host, but when I dis rediscovered Star Trek as a teenager and I jumped in 
just after halfway through season three, one of the first episodes that I saw was Sins of the Father. And I was like, mm, that's, I don't really know what's going on there. And then any time a Klingon episode came up, there would be a little internal sigh. I'd be like, ugh, another Klingon episode. So I've kind of learned to kind of just not enjoy Klingon episodes as much as some you people do. You still feel that way? I, I kind of think so. It's it's a bit oh, of a hangover. Man. I've watched the four episodes like twice each now, so I'm like Klingoned out. But there's, some, there's <laughs> something about the Klingon culture that I just do not understand. It's kind of a monocultural. They're a warrior race. How could they ever possibly have survived to be a technologically Oh my gosh, we've gone from Richard, who loves the Klingons, to Joe, who's <laughs> eh about the Klingons. That's funny. It's diversity of opinions. And, and edic, edic. Yeah, well, I think one thing we need to point out is this fan collective is based on, I guess, some kind of survey or poll that they did of fans for their favorite Indeed, Klingon episodes. Yes. So, and we'll talk about it later. It's interesting the things that they didn't include. For me, I've always loved Klingon episodes in every iteration of Star Trek. It is true, Joe, that for the most part, they're, they are kind of a bit of a monolithic culture uh, with some exceptions in, in Star Trek and especially the novels. But it's there's just something about it that's, that's just very like intriguing and dramatic and a great contrast to the Federation that I've always really appreciated and liked. So I liked watching... Uh, these these episodes and it made me think about some of the other Klingon episodes that they didn't include in here. But yeah, I I, I actually really enjoyed this. So hopefully this won't be torture for you, Joe. No, I'm I'm, I'm loving it. I'm, I'm with my Trek FM family. So okay, we'll make it good not for to you. enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get to this story arc that covers many seasons of Next Gen, not just one season. And let's start with A Matter of Honor. Justin, why don't you tell us about Matter of Honor and what you thought and why this is included? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, basically, this is the one where Riker is part of the exchange program and becomes the first officer on a on a Klingon ship. I've always loved this episode because I think this is the first time in Star Trek that you see life aboard a Klingon ship as more than just they're in battle because you see the scenes in the mess hall and, you know, the internal politics and all of that, the things that happen between, you know, firing the weapons and, you know, the confrontations on the view screen. So I, I love the the episode. And actually, I think, you know, this one, uh, right from the beginning, it does have some diversity because there you do see some different Klingons. There, there's the captain who is pretty much just like, I don't care. I'm paranoid about this. We're going to try to destroy the Enterprise. And then there's some other Klingon officers like, well, I don't know, maybe. And, and Riker um, is kind of convincing the second officer, Clagg, a little bit and really gets his respect in the end. So I, I think it actually shows a little bit of of diversity. You see the Klingons in the mess hall. And of course, there's this big contrast with Worf. Worf doesn't laugh, but these Klingons laugh and they have a good time and they tell stories and and all of this stuff. So I think it actually th that episode actually really broadened what we knew of the Klingons, and I appreciate it for that. And I think one theme that I see in these episodes is certain characters getting respect from the Klingons, and this was the one where Riker was getting the respect of the Klingons. And, and I love that, too. It showed a, a bit of a different side of, of Riker adapting to those kinds of circumstances. Joe? I, I, can't, I can't bring myself to use Justin's word, Justin's word love, for the episode, um, but I enjoyed it i enjoyed the parts the idea that riker was taking part in a klingon exchange 
so that the Federation um, could perhaps learn a bit more about what it was like to be Klingon, to kind of reinforce their alliance, I suppose. I like the food, the scene with the food. There's a couple of things I wrote down. When Riker's in 10 forward, yeah. trying out all the food, and he's got a heart of Targ, and he's got Pippius Claw, which it turns out is just chicken feet with the middle toe cut off. Which is how they actually, yeah. Produced made, it produced for it. the episode, yeah. yes. Neelix's cookbook, if you've ever seen uh-huh. the Star Trek cookbook, as written by Neelix, uh, he states that Pippius Claw is a crustacean that feeds at the bottom of Klingon oceans. Anyway, that's kind of besides the point. We're supposed to be talking about Klingons. What I noted was that they used the term kilometers when previously in Next Gen they've used the term kilograms, and then after this episode they used the term kilograms again. So I'm mm. not sure if it was maybe just for Riker's benefit. That they used, yes, because he's on board. That emergency transport sponder that Riker had would appear that you could use it to beam through their cloak when the captain gets beamed off the Klingon ship because they were cloaked at the time, which I thought was very strange. No, I could see it as possible because you're cloaked, but if it's giving you a specific location, then you can lock onto that and beam them out. And when they're cloaked, they can't have their shields up. Yeah, but I just have a problem with using... Something that's more than likely electromagnetic, i.e. the transporter, to transport through something that refracts electromagnetic radiation. I can see where this is going. You didn't like the Klingon aspect as much, so you want to talk about the science, <laughs> so that's fine. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a doing, I've been doing that. Okay, so one another thing, another thing um, was the casual racism aspect. Again, not Klingons. However, Wesley basically says that oh, all yeah. Benzites look the same because Mordok and this other guy are from the same geostructure. And I was like, that is that's racism, isn't it? When you say, oh, you guys all look the same. Well, to be fair, the actor who played Mordok was the same actor who played Mordon. So <laughs> I sort of forgive it for that way because, yes, they do look alike. <laughs> they are the same but, person. <laughs> okay, but if you're a, a Benzite, then you will not hold that opinion that all Benzites look the same. True. So when I was watching this, I actually started with Broken Bow before we decided to specifically, because we figured that was way too many episodes and we're just going to focus on uh, the storyline within TNG. Um, so I was trying to look at it in terms of this serialized nature, more like how we do with Discovery, how we watch Discovery. So I really watched all these episodes, and I was thinking about what do we learn about the Klingons and the story that it's telling us within these you know, five episodes, if you will. And it was very interesting that in A Matter of Honor, yeah, this exchange, and it was mentioned quite a few times that, you know, that the this Klingon had never seen a human before. And I'm like, wait a minute. I mean, there were there was the Klingon war that we know about in, you know, uh the original series and and that, you know, a century ago, and that they've have this uh now alliance with the Klingon. They're part of the Federation, and yet they haven't seen another human. I thought that was very Interesting. Yeah, I thought it was kind of interesting, but I don't think it's a problem. They've been serving on Klingon ships. They've been on Kronos. No, no humans Absolutely. have come aboard. So 
Yeah, it's not a problem. I just found it very interesting. Um, okay. And just so how it was new to each other, and they're sort of setting it up like, okay, here's this new race that we're being introduced to, you know, from the last time we saw a century ago in the original series, right? So we get to... Um, I mean, you see them in the first season in, in Heart of Glory, so you have seen them more recently. Right. So I'm, again, coming from this approach of watching it as... Oh, the, if you watched it like this, episodes. what would you think? Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. I know there's previous stuff. But if you had just seen Broken Bow and then went straight to A Matter of Honor, yeah. Right. Um, according to this fan collection and the list that they have, the last time we met the Klingons was the original series, which is a century ago. So jumping to a Got matter it. of honor, I was just like, oh, this is very interesting. And we are getting a nice look at the Klingons because definitely they are laughing. And I love, like you said, Justin, we get to see them sort of off duty, you know, in the mess hall and them, you know, laughing and enjoying the food, like you said, and how Riker was preparing. And, and we get a lot of idealism and Klingon philosophy that sort of goes throughout all of Klingondomness, if that's even what? a word. You mean um, sure. Klingondomness? <laughs> I, use, I use that word all the time. I know, right? <laughs> and, you know, I just think that, you know, where Klingon equals work and it's not your family and we're going to, you know, have duty and the your ability and single-mindedness and, you know, it, that sort of permeates throughout. And it's interesting because later when Guinan comes to Worf, you know, at the target practice and she's like, you know, Klingons laugh. And it just totally made me think of this matter of honor where they're all laughing and enjoying each other and joking around in the mess hall and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think the important thing in this episode is it tells you that Worf isn't really a typical Klingon. He's, he's different in some way because he has this idealized view of what it means to be a Klingon. And Klingons who have spent t their lives around other Klingons are not the same, I think is what it's telling us, and that he has just set himself apart as different. And we thought maybe before he was a typical 24th century Klingon, but now we know that's not true. I suppose that's going to happen if you're brought up by humans and the only access you have to Klingon information is through the kind of the human prism, like reading kind of documents about them. It's almost like he's he's read about it, maybe he's seen videos about it or whatever, but like he's never really spent a lot of time around other Klingons. So it's like he's built this thing up based on his theory of what it is and not the actual practice. Which maybe makes him into the best example of a Klingon because he's just taking this that idea of like work and honor and duty and that's what it is to be Klingon so oh you mean he's taking he's just taking it to like it's logical extreme <laughs> yeah and so mm. he's the the best version of his species well yeah and we have Picard actually telling Worf that you know in redemption that it's like Worf you've taken the best of both you know the human nature and Klingon nature so well, next we have Sins of the Father that comes in the list. And this, again, interesting. I thought we get to see this officer exchange program again where Kern comes on, happens to be Worf's brother, and there is a lot that goes on. So, Justin, what did you think of going from Matter of Honor to Sins of the Father? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is really the next big Klingon episode. I think, like we said before, there's the first season, Heart of Glory, that they skip over. But I don't think you necessarily miss something. And it is interesting, like, exchange program where Riker goes over to Klingon ship, exchange program where Kern comes over to a Federation ship. I think there's a couple of things that are really interesting about this episode. I mean, first is is Kern, who we see multiple times and even into Deep Space Nine as Worf's brother. He has spent pretty much his whole life around Klingons, but it's interesting now that I think of it, he is kind of like Worf. I don't know if he re- he takes things really seriously. I don't know if he really laughs or jokes around. Well, I guess we do see that a little bit when in, in Redemption with the Klingon Civil War. But at first, he seems really stern. And he comes aboard the Enterprise, and he's just like trying to instruct everyone as this exchange first officer that they need to like take things more seriously. And, you know, he would, if you were on a Klingon ship, he's telling people he would kill them for their behavior and their suggestions, like Riker's suggestions. So I think it's interesting to introduce this this brother for, for Worf, who is also taking things really seriously, but on the other side of this exchange program, and he's not adapting in the same way that Riker does. He's kind of inflexible. But I was just impressed in rewatching it, how much goes on here, because you get introduced to Kern, what he's trying to do on the Enterprise, you find out he's... Uh, Worf's brother, you find out that their their father, you know, has been accused decades after his death of this this traitorous act. They go over to the Klingon homeworld. There's all this stuff that happens in this politics. The first time you see like Duras and and all all this stuff that you're being introduced to, like we had never really seen Kronos before. We hadn't really seen the Klingon Chancellor before or the Great Hall. So they're introducing all this world building stuff in the midst of this episode that presumably is about like Worf and, you know, his father and Duras and all of that. But I found it really interesting because uh, I happened to be reading a copy of Star Trek magazine from back in 2002 that Standard Orbit host Haley Stoddard sent (laughs) to me. Thank you, Haley. Uh, And it happened to be talking about Sins of the Father. And Apparently, when they originally pitched this idea, Gene Roddenberry didn't like it because he said, this is not a show about Klingons. But the way that they got got it approved was they said, well, actually, it's not about Klingons, it's about Picard. And as I was watching this episode, I thought, actually, it is, because if A Matter of Honor is about Riker getting respect from the Klingons, Sins of the Father is about Picard getting respect from the Klingons for being the Chadich and all of this stuff that he's doing. So it's weird, but it's actually about Picard in a way. Joe, what did you think about Sins of the Father and how it continued the Klingon storyline? It takes me right back to being, I don't know what age I was. I must have been about 14, 13, 14, 15, something like that. Star Trek from that time has hugely fond memories for me. However, I, I feel it as a Klingon episode. I agree with Justin. You said about the world building aspects. You see Kronos, um, like the first city. Um, you see the Great Hall, although I did think the Great Hall was a bit pathetic, as Great Hall should go for an empire. You know what's interesting? I was reading about this also, I think it was in Star Trek magazine. You know how they shot that Great Hall? To make it look twice as big as it actually was, they actually would shoot things so that you'd see like Kempek on his throne and they'd shoot that. Then they'd take that off of the set and they'd put in, you know, Picard and Worf and all of that in the same area like and they would shoot them like that way so it would look like it was twice as big <laughs> so oh, okay. it was actually not as big of a set as it not it even looks. that big yeah because you would think you'd have like the federation you would have representatives from all your all the different like kind of member worlds um i know it's probably a bit more imperialistic and 
Well, I mean, if we if we go with what Discovery has, it's about the great houses, and there's just a certain number of them, like twenty four yeah, or something like that. True. What I like, I think this is maybe the only time that we've heard of the Captain's Mess. One of very few times when they have mm. the the banquet for Kern when he comes on comes aboard, which is just a redress of the observation. You mean the twenty fourth century Thanksgiving with the turkey and all that? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Um, I have to say, Kern, um, Tony Todd, who plays Kern, kind of still terrifies the living daylights out of me because he was in Candyman. He's kind of frightening as as, he as Kern. terrifying. Yeah. It, like, I can't bring myself to say Candyman three times in a mirror when it's dark, <laughs> just in case he appears behind me and kind of rips out my heart. He's, he's such a great actor, though, because he also played the older Jake Sisko in The Visitor, which is a totally different thing than Kern. <laughs> He did. Incredible. And he played the Alpha Herogen. Yeah, he played a Herogen too. Yeah. It's his voice. He's got such a distinctive voice. Mm-hmm. You notice him right away. Picard um, says something which doesn't really make sense when they're on they're about to be en route to Kronos. He says, set course for the first city of the Klingon Imperial Empire. What on earth is an Imperial Empire? It's an empire that does Imperial stuff. Yeah, no, but... Imperial <laughs> means it's an empire, so you don't have to say Imperial Empire. You just have to say the first city of the Imperium. Or they wanted they well, they wanted to seem so important that they're saying the same thing twice. I don't know. It is a little odd phrasing. You would just say the Klingon. I think later you just hear Klingon Empire, but and you wouldn't set course for a city either. You'd set course for the planet. I think it's because they hadn't decided what they wanted to name the planet yet. Because <laughs> they don't call okay. it Kronos here, do they? Don't no. believe I think I've that happens that. later. Yeah, yeah, it's always the Klingon homeworld. Yeah, one th- really th- thing I really enjoyed about the episode was Worf's discommendation. That show scene where the backs were turned to him—it's mm. kind of mm-hmm. a bit spine chilling. It's harsh because you feel for him at that point. Yeah, I think it's a really powerful scene where they all turn on him and then they walk out. So, also in this Star Trek magazine article I was reading they were saying that they knew this was going to be the first time that they would leave a storyline unresolved in the next generation at the end of the episode because he's discommendated. But then it's like, well, they're going to come back to this, right? Which, of course, they do. But I think it was the it's, it's appropriate that we're covering this because I think it was the first time they had thought about some major element coming back later. Um, so I thought it was uh, very interesting to hear how... Worf didn't know about Kern and how he was told, you know, that there was no other children. And then that Kern, you know, was left with a friend of his father and he didn't know what had happened. So I also found it interesting that Kempek said that he knew Moog. And then also I found it interesting that Duras knew who Kern was. So Duras really has a lot of information, and we see that obviously his family has a lot of pull. I there was so much storyline in this one episode. It just and you're right, it didn't really satisfy. I mean, we got Worf being, you know, turned against the Klingon Empire and he's being kicked out, but that's not an ending for our main character. <laughs> it's, it's it's an unhappy, unresolved ending, so they had to come back to it. So, yeah, that was probably something at the time where people were like, huh, okay, and they had to wait like a year to find out more about it, or two years, really, for it to be completely resolved. Right. 
Yeah. I'm seeing these four new four episodes in a completely new light in terms of being like a a mini story arc with four parts in it. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what's great about doing this podcast. Yeah, I mean it is it is interesting because it really should be five parts to have reunion where you see like Worf kills Duras, you see Alexander and and you see Kalar again and she gets killed and then because I can imagine somebody going from Sins of the Father to Redemption to being like, wait a minute, who's Chancellor now? Like, what happened? Where's Duras? How did he get killed? So they, it, it's, it's kind of weird that it's not in there. But anyway, we know what happened. <laughs> yeah, I would add, absolutely, you've got to have Reunion in there because it is a major piece of the story. Yeah, and jumping from Sins of the Father to Redemption, if you hadn't seen you would be really questioning what in the heck happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you really need to have it in there. I'm surprised that it's not in there. And why did we, Joe, what did you say happened? Why isn't Reunion included in this? I think the fans just didn't vote sure. for it. Yeah, we didn't vote for it. I would um, replace the Sword of Kaelas, Deep Space Nine, with Reunion, I think. You're probably right about that, because the Sword of Kaelas isn't the, all that consequential to the overall story arc. No. It's a good episode, mm. but it's not like it matters to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, if I had my my arm up my back and was forced to choose another Klingon, Klingon episode, then it would be to swap those two out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so let's move to Redemption. And it's interesting because they have Redemption and then Redemption 2. So just for ease of conversation, we will say part one, even though it's not identified as part one. But this I thought was interesting because it is the uh, season finale. And we do get this cliffhanger, you know, over the summer. So it is, you know, sort of this serialized. But um, so, Joe, what did you think about Redemption? Well, no, let's not join them together because part two is my favorite out of the four. Really? Because I see it as less really? of a Klingon episode and more of a Romulan episode. It's my least favorite of the four. <laughs> okay. I know, um, mine I, too. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, uh, the whole tachyon detection. That part's cool. Grid is a bit hokey though. Oh. It's like you've made a, a net. Why, why don't the Romulans just go up and over or... Did you, you know, it's just, it just doesn't really make sense. It's very two-dimensional. Yeah, it is two-dimensional two in that way. I usually overlook that. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed the bit where Gowron destroys the Klingon ships by firing at the sun. What does he fire? His That's Kern beam that does that. Also, as yep. Kern's the captain, isn't it? In yeah, Worf's. well, I think what happens is he gets really close to, to the some part of the star and then goes Corona, to warp yeah. and it causes some eruption that destroys the ships, which is cool. Yes. Yeah, they do like some exhaust blast and then that... I thought it was just because they went to warp in it and it actually warps the space-time behind them and psh, something. Anyway. Warp yeah. fields have a tendency to disrupt the, the surface corona of stars. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> The birds of prey, see, at the beginning of the first part, the birds of prey seem really big compared to the Vorcha-class ship that they're attacking. Mm-hmm. And I know with Klingon ships, you usually get lots of different sizes, especially with the bird of prey. Do you not get like a, a Burrell-class bird of prey and there are a few other different types, mm-hmm. possibly. Um, but they did look really large compared to 
to the the Vorcha. Worf, this is the first time we see Worf in a Klingon uniform. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he's never been in the Klingon Defense Forces. So I imagine he probably replicated it. Oh yeah, I think he replicated it on the Enterprise. But it kind of looks like when he's getting changed, it, it kind of looks like he's taken it out of some kind of storage container, which I thought was odd. I'll have to rewatch that bit. Did anybody get a tiny, tiny, tiny bit emotional at Worf's honor guard as he's oh, leaving? Oh, I love that part, yeah. Anytime they've got an yes. honor guard, like when Neelix leaves mm-hmm. Voyager, or it's just, yeah, it brings all the, brings all the feels. That was, I always love that part. And seeing it this time, it's, you think like they didn't have to do that, but they, they did it in the episode and it was great. Mm. Yeah. You know, that was the first time that actually it really hit me emotionally because I'd seen it multiple times, but, you know, watching it in this series, I was like, oh my gosh, Worf is leaving. It never hit me because I always knew, you know, we'd see Worf again, but it's like, he's leaving the Enterprise and very appropriate. It, yeah, you're right. It hit me this time. So yeah, I have a couple of thoughts about this two-parter. I, I really enjoy the the first part, kind of the run-up to the the Klingon Civil War. I think that uh, that it's really great, you know, that they they do pick it up and and Picard's like, hey, you know, we're going to have this installation of Gowron Worf. We should really do something about this discommendation. He's like, eh, I don't know, I don't know. But over the course of it, you know, Worf does get his family's honor back which I think is is really great. But I th- I think like like what I was saying before where it's like a matter of honor is about Riker getting respect from the Klingons and Sins of the Fathers about Picard getting respect from the Klingons. The Redemption two-parter is about Worf getting respect from the Klingons finally. I mean not only does he restore his family's honor, but you know he fights in battle and and I think that you know Gowron has this newfound appreciation for him. So so I I I like that aspect of it i mean for me i i don't as much like the second part because seal's involvement is kind of like eh. and it's kind of like there's this this big like build up and then it's like uh oh they've detected us gotta go <laughs> so it's kind of anticlimactic but one of the things that i thought about was you know the the cliffhanger for season three was the best of both worlds what's going to happen is picard going to die and there was this real thought at the time like well maybe patrick stewart's not going to come back but what if you know, for, for redemption, you know, at the end of it, Worf is, is leaving, he's resigned his commission. Like, what if in part two he was killed or he decided to be in the Klingon Empire for the rest of his life? What would that have been like? And I, that thought was in my head also because when I was reading this, this article in Star Trek magazine, it also said that Gene Roddenberry didn't consider Worf to be a principal character in The Next Generation. So, which I thought was like, what? I, I mean, he didn't get as much to do in the beginning and got more over time. But what if they had thought about that well, like that way, like, yeah, Worf's not that essential, let's uh, get rid of him, or maybe he's in the Klingon Empire and the Klingon Defense Forces for the rest of his life. I think that would have been a really interesting turn, but at the end of the two-parter, it's kind of like, well, Worf has his family honor back, that's changed, but everything else is status quo. So it doesn't really change much except this intangible honor thing. <laughs> so anyway, it was interesting just to think of it that way. And to see, like you said, that cliffhanger and knowing that we had best of both worlds for season three and now we have season four. And again, it hit me when I saw Worf lay down his comm badge. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's resigning. I did not, for some reason, things were hitting me much more powerfully than ever before because we're just so, I was so focused on 
on seeing what they have. And I find I have to do that sometimes. Like if you've seen something before or if you know what's going to happen, I try to kind of like put myself into the mindset of someone that's actually there that doesn't know what's going to happen. And that's, I think, when I can feel like, oh, my goodness, they don't actually know if he's coming back ever. So that, I think that that's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was doing when I was watching these. Um, I, again, so much happened in part one and part two. And, and like you, I really did prefer uh, Redemption part one over part two. Um, in part because I loved seeing the political aspect. I mean, this whole thing is all political, but, you know, with Gowron telling Worf, well, you're just going to have to live with your discommodation and live with it like a Klingon would. And then when Worf is talking to Kern, it's like, we are going to support Gowron. I'm like, dude, he was not even going to reinstate you. Why are you going to support him? And he's like, but when the time comes, we're going to pinch him and we're going to get what we want, you know, and offer his support. Because, you know, he knew that the uh, Duras family was working with the Romulans again. Now, Go ahead. I was going to say, Worf was playing the long game. He knew that yes. uh, there was still more stuff to come with Galron and that he could, you know, take care of him when he needed to in like eight years. <laughs> yeah. So. so after, you know, watching these episodes and looking at the story arc, and I was just like, oh my gosh, it's killing me. And it really started around uh, Sins of the Father. Why? There's a huge plot hole in this story. And it irritates me, me beyond very, very much so. Why does no one reveal the Doros involvement with the Romulans so much earlier? Like, why does Worf have to take discommodation? Tell the chance, well, the chance I already knew, but tell everyone, hey, it was really Duras's No, but they couldn't do that because they felt like that would split the empire and lead to civil war, which it did later. Okay, whoever would follow the Duras family, they were so willing to call a traitor and call them every name and even every Klingon bad swear word name, right? And okay, so look, here's the revelation. And then we find out that Picard made that information available to everyone. So everyone should have already known that it was... They would choose not to believe it because Duras is that, is that powerful. Exactly. Which comes to the point, it's like, when you have the facts and you still choose to not believe it, is so crazy. And what does that tell you about the power? Right, I don't think it's a plot hole. I think it just tells you about their mentality about it. Uh, I don't think it's I just <laughs> I just think with the continual evidence of the Duras working with the Romulans, like that should have been the obvious. They would just say that the Federation is just is just falsifying the data in order to influence the circumstances. Yeah, I, very, I don't uh, I don't think it's apt. a it's a problem. I think it just tells you okay. what they're thinking, and they won't look at the real evidence because. It's they just don't want to hear it. They don't want to think about it. They don't think it's real. So it never occurred to me. I will have to watch it for a third time. I've thought about that a little bit because he, he does say, like, we'll make this data available to everybody. Okay, great. So they do, but I think they they just discount it. But then it. there's they're no like, consequence of it, yeah. Well, no, they're just going to discount it and say, we don't believe that. You're just trying to influence the circumstances, and we know that Duras is right because he's just that powerful. Which is very sad for people to have facts and evidence in front of your face and still discount it. That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. Feels like living in 2019. 
on earth. Yes, it does. One thing that I found very interesting at the very end of Redemption Part 2 when, you know, everything is revealed and Worf chooses not to kill Toroth, the son of Duras. What, what did you guys think about that? It was typical, you could have called that, it was typical Worf. He's not just going to kill a child. It's his human side. It's the influence of, of the human upbringing, I think. Because he even says, like, when Kern's like, that is our way, he's like, you know, maybe, but it is not my way. He's saying how he is actually different than the typical uh, Klingon, yeah. Hey, that would have been really interesting if, if Worf was like, oh, yeah, and just then just killed him. Then he goes <laughs> yeah. back to the Enterprise, and it's like, hmm. Um, he killed Duras, and now he's killed this uh, son of Duras. Do we want this bloodthirsty guy on the ship? You know, I I think if he would have done that, that might have changed how Picard thought of him. If he just you know plunged the knife and killed the guy, he does get away with quite a lot because he kills. Does he not kill Gowron later on Deep Space Nine. He does. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Worf does some important important stuff, doesn't he? <laughs> it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Well, tell me, after watching all of these episodes as an entire series, what, what are your final thoughts, Joe? So even though the whole Klingon thing doesn't really appeal to me, um, I have a new appreciation for these four episodes. And I really like, Amy, you kind of alluded to it earlier when you're watching the episodes now that we have to podcast about them and we have to say something that's kind of remotely interesting that our listeners might want to hear you really have to watch them because i'm terrible for watching tv in general but having like an ipad and a laptop and a phone around me so you'll never really half watch things but with with this you really have to watch and pay attention and think about the implications for the characters and what the whole thing means so that you have something interesting to say. So, I have enjoyed the rewatch, I will say that. I think I... I, Justin, you're really good at it. You're really good at look seeing deeper into an episode than I do. I pick up all the wee snippets and details, I think, like the Kilicams and the, the Pippius Claw and all those silly wee things. So... I think I'm going to learn a lot in terms of podcasting about actually watching episodes and paying attention. Oh, well, thank you, Joe. I mean, it's 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 weird. It's kind of like I did used to do that. But as I've watched these things more and more, sometimes I, I just think about like the big picture of, of what's going on more than the details. I tend to think a lot less about the details, nitpick a lot less about things and think more about the themes and what they're going for overall. But we appreciate the stuff that you bring, Joe. <laughs> I'm just a youngling. It's like I'm your I'm your Padawan <laughs> learner, Padawan podcaster. Let's call me that. All right, Joe. Er, thank you, Joe. <laughs> uh, Justin, what are your final thoughts uh, watching this as a storyline? Yeah, it is interesting because usually, I mean, except for what we do for Earl Grey, I'm usually doing rewatches to watch episodes like one after another. So it's always interesting to watch them, you know, in, in sequence. And as we said, it would have been great, especially to have Reunion, but also Heart of Glory, which is an interesting Klingon episode. But I mean, it tells you that quite a lot happens to build out 
this Klingon world. I mean, seeing more off-duty of what happens on a Klingon ship, seeing the Klingon homeworld, seeing the Chancellor and all the politics and all of the things that happen. In the sins of the Father, you even get to see there's all this corruption that's happening and then a civil war and it gets resolved. I mean, these are like really important things that are happening in, in the Klingon Empire. And I think it's remarkable that we get that in the next generation that continues kind of in Deep Space Nine, all the important things that are happening in, in the Empire. So I've always enjoyed these episodes. I love it. I have to say, I think I enjoy Sila a little less every time that I see these episodes. But, you know, as, as we established in the Section 31 episode, Sila works for Section 31 and she's, you know, deliberately failing. So that makes more sense to me. But it's it's just really great. And, and I love the performances, too. I think Michael Dorna's Wharf is great. Tony Todd as Kern is great. Robert O'Reilly as Galron is great. Plus, you get to see all this great, you know, Picard stuff, and there's great Riker and Data stuff. So, I mean, the only thing is, in all of these storylines, I mean, as happens sometimes, you don't really get much for Troy to do. We haven't even mentioned Troy, so she doesn't really do much at all in these episodes, unfortunately. But they're focused in a different direction. But other than that, I think I love it a lot, and I think it's great. And, you know, looking forward to all the other serialized storylines in TNG that we'll talk about. Yeah, I I did notice they showed Troy twice. Yes, briefly. It seemed like. And one of them was her backside, you know, she was watching. They showed a shot and it was her backside as Worf was beaming off. And I was like, oh, there's Troy. Yeah, and there's another one where she's just kind of like standing around as they talk about something. Uh. I know, yeah, she was standing at the top of the horseshoe. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Um, so yeah, not a lot of Troy, but really some great storyline for Worf and to see him, you know, go from start to finish with his citizenship, I guess, in the Klingon nation is pretty darn amazing. And to see the interplay, I really did enjoy the story. I think it's a great story. And I just sort of wonder, would they be able to do that succinctly and have it be that, I don't know, well thought out in a series right now, 2019. Um, because they had multiple seasons, multiple years to, you know, sort of think about, well, what do we what do we want to say in the next story? What do we want to say in the next part of the episode? Um, so I just, I find it very interesting. I really have enjoyed watching them and watching them sort of as this, season-long arc, if we could say that's a season or not. So it, it's been very interesting. And, and thank you, Joe, for your contributions. Uh, definitely, I have learned a lot to watch these episodes knowing that I'm going to have to podcast about them. It definitely changes the way that you view Star Trek. Well, Justin, why don't you give us a preview of what we're going to be discussing next week? Yeah, so next week, Lost Episodes returns for part eight. So, uh, well, by the time this one comes out, I'll have already posted something in the Babel conference asking people to guess what a certain topic is about. This may be the last one that comes from this book, Lost Voyages of Trek and the Next Generation, that I've been taking things from, but we have an idea for another episode of Lost Episodes after that. So there, I think there will be more, but uh, yeah, you'll get another installment next week and always love doing that. And Joe, this will be the first one that you're on with us to talk about these crazy Lost Episodes. It's so exciting. I might have to actually listen to some more of the Lost episodes to get a feel for how the conversation is going. Feel free, but basically it's just you're reacting to what I'm saying. So, <laughs> Okay. And it's better if you don't read it beforehand. I won't then. So, Justin, can you believe eight different 
episodes, parts that we've had to this series. Can you... Some of them have had two or three different episodes, so it's crazy there's been that much, but I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have, Amy. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It's been good. I'm very excited. Well, it's been so much fun going over serialized Klingon story arc in The Next Generation, but it isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Earl Grey. But just really in a most passionate way he could, in a compassionate manner, he, he goes to him, you are not alone. We're here to help you to do this together. And that means so much to me. Like, you know, I guess being being the youngest kid in the family, so I kind of think, you know, that like you, you don't want to be left out. So you know that feeling where no one's listening to you. But to see Picard really reach out to him and he wants to help him with all his might, but but there's just that... There's that divide with him not being able to speak or hear. Melodic tricks. Eventually, you know, it, it, the screen goes to white and then you cut to um, Ripley's ship that, that's been derelict for 57 years. And there's this very lonesome sounding string melody that's playing. And I don't think it's a direct lift, but it's it's certainly very, very similar to a piece by um, Aram Kachaturian. Uh, it's from a piece, a suite of music called the Gain Ballet Suite, and it's an adagio. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. No, that we say goodbye to everybody this season. Like, anyone who walked off the bridge, like, if you had to go take a leak, they would, like, all stand up and say goodbye. It was, like, pathetic. The Orb. Maybe we all need to be comfortable with that discomfort of hearing something that's different from what we think. So instead of attacking, instead of pushing back immediately, we could just let it go, we could say nothing, or we could respond with, hmm, that's interesting. That's not how I see it, but I didn't think about it that way either. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show, and if you do a review in July or August, then you have a chance to win some great collectible TNG cards. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, and most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference. That's our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field, and it will come right up. So you guys want a bonus question? Sure. Yes. Yeah? Okay. So what part of your life is the most Klingon? Amy? Wow. Okay. (laughs) And interpret Klingon however you want. Okay. Well, I am interpreting it, as I said in my final thoughts, because it is so political and so you know, backstabbing, working, Mm. who's best, what's best for you and and your people. I'm going to say the most Klingon aspect of my life is teaching at my current school. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Because of the politics? 
the politics of you know education in general and funding and fighting for to keep what you have and I'm department chair so I have to fight a lot for my math department to make sure that we get what's ours and that it doesn't go somewhere else. That is a great question, Justin. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, Joe, what do you think? I was trying, the first word that jumped into my head would be honor, but I don't think there's really any part of my life where I've been super honorable. So you're an, you're just, an honorless human then? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> I'm going to steal Amy's word and go with, Political, I think up until maybe three, four, no, 2014, so five years ago, I had absolutely no interest in anything that was politics related. Mm. But obviously in 2014, Scotland had an independence referendum where we voted to whether or not we were going to stay within the UK. And I don't know, it sparked an interest in politics. And ever since then... I've been heavily involved in politics. So, Okay, great. Well, I'm going to take this in a slightly different way because I'm usually someone that's very like calm and patient about things, but there are some things that bring out the Klingon in me. Not that there's any physical violence or anything like that, oh. but... You haven't killed anyone, right? Of course not, Amy, <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but here's, here's the sense in which, and I have a current example uh, as of today. So... Uh, we rent our house and we've had an issue with our air conditioning and I've gone through this really frustrating process with our property management company to try to get this thing fixed. It's taken almost two weeks. It's almost there. But in order to get it there, man, did I have to, you know, have some strongly worded messages and be really, really insistent in some of my phone calls. Like, no, you're going to put me on hold and talk to this person right now. I don't want to like be passed off again and just being like really insistent. So maybe it's more of like an attitude thing. Like when I get to a certain point, I'm going to be like really push for it and raise my voice a little bit to get it done. So that's the way I, I think of it. And that's why I have my It's All Klingon to Me shirt on today. So I love it. That's awesome. You're going, Justin's going Klingon. <laughs> For the honor of the air conditioning. Yes. <laughs> did you, did you threaten to come to their place of work and rip out their still beating heart and eat it? No, oh. that's not effective on earth. That's only effective on Kronos. That would have been yeah. more Klingon. No, no, but it was, it was more like the threat that, interestingly, the threat that I had was like, if you guys don't resolve this like now, I'm going to go out and do it myself and pay for it myself. Like, no, 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 no. You don't have to do that. And I was talking to the owner of the house and all that. Like, don't do that. So it's getting fixed today, thankfully. Yeah. But as of a couple of days ago, we were like back at the beginning. So anyway, I was like. <laughs> the easiest solution, Justin, is to move to Scotland. We don't have air conditioning anywhere. Yeah. It's also very cold. Well, that is that. <laughs> which so, i can deal with so is air conditioning so okay that that is a possibility um maybe not at the moment but i will consider it in the future when it breaks down you'd be more than welcome so if you'd like to send us an email uh i don't know maybe you want to send us an email about what's most klingon about you or your thoughts about this episode you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact choose to send to a show and select earl gray that will come right to us and we might read your email on the show you can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. So Amy, where can people contact you when you're not defending your department's honor in front of the school district? 
Well, I really am doing that all the time but when I'm not, and that's great. Um, you can find me here on the network. I co-host The Edge, which is about Star Trek Discovery. I am over on the Fandom Podcast Network co-hosting Discoville, which is about Star Trek Discovery and The Orville. I am on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, and you can find me in the Babel Conference so, Joe, where can people contact you when you're not serving aboard a Klingon ship as an exchange student? I mean, an exchange officer. Officer, <laughs> yeah. Way past being a student. Science officer on a Klingon ship. Your Padawan pad cost, pa- podcaster. Pa, pa, pa. <laughs> um, do Klingon ships have science officers? I'm not so sure that they, they do. must. Somebody needs they, to. I know. Look for they stuff. In a matter of things. honor, they they had a guy who was analyzing like the bacteria on the hull, right? Oh yeah, True. that's right. Yeah. Uh, so to answer the question, um, <laughs> people if they wish can email me joepodcasts at gmail You can find me lurking about the Babel Conference on Facebook, or you can get me on Twitter at joejo seventy seven uk. By the way, Joe, you should check your Twitter more often because I think some people were congratulating you for becoming a new co-host. So <gasps> oh, I yeah okay. I'll pay attention to that. Just a note. Yeah, you're going to have to get involved in Twitter a lot more now that you're podcasting. Okay. Thank you, Twitter people. (laughs) All right. Continue. And Justin, where can people contact you when you're not resigning your commission to fight in a Klingon civil war? You know, there's this cliffhanger that's happening. I hope it goes well. I hope I don't die or serve in the Klingon Defense Force for the rest of my life. But, you know, when I'm not worrying about that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. And you can find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Tribuzio, Jim McMahon, and me. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. It is a good day to die. Jelajnej, Dishket, Jackmajaj. Great joy and gratitude. Wow, Joe, that was really impressive. Thank you. Been practicing.